Welcome to Success Is Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Portman, serial entrepreneur, author, and podcast host. Whether success for you is more money, time with your family, a healthy, well-balanced life, or freedom, I'm interviewing guests and getting you the advice to make it happen. So join me as we uncomplicate the complicated, help you define success, and give you the strategies to make it happen. Hello, and thank you for joining me today on the Success Is Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Portman. Joining me today is Peter George. Peter is an accomplished public speaker, public speaking coach, podcast host, and award-winning author. Thank you for joining us today, Peter. Pleasure to be here, Phil. So let's kick it off with what does success mean to you? Success to me is having the opportunity to help as many people reach their objectives as possible. If I can do that in life, that's a pretty cool thing. That's fantastic. So I had a chance to read your book. Um, I re read it on the Kindle. Normally, I'd, I'd hold up your your book for everyone to to go through, uh, but for me, I read it on the Kindle. Um, it's easy for me because I'm sitting there on my exercise bike and I can go through it. Um, and I, great book. Thank you so much for uh, for writing it. Um, Thank you. The thing I liked about it is just how thorough it was on all the aspects of public speaking. And uh, I am guilty as one of those guys who for years is I just wing it, right? <laughs> just get up there on stage. <laughs> and uh, and you address that uh, thoroughly in the book and, and especially at, at the beginning. Um, but I, I really want you to tell a little bit about your story, how you grew up somebody who had a stutter, who had a, a lisp and uh, went on to become a successful public speaker and public speaking coach. Uh, can you kind of walk us through that journey a little bit? Yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things, if it was in a Hollywood script, they'd say, nah, too corny, uh, too coincidental, won't fly. But that's pretty much what it was. As you mentioned, I grew up with a lisp and a stutter in Providence, Rhode Island. And back then, we're talking the mid-60s, if you're growing up in a city and you're nine years old with a lisp and a stutter, you do two things fairly well. One is you don't talk. Family, close friends, that's about it. The other is you become pretty good in sports because the more uh, you played sports, the better you were in sports, the less you'd get picked on. And I'm happy to say I was never really picked on for my speech impediments. And by the time I got to high school, they were all but gone. I had had uh, a therapist work with me in elementary and middle school. And when I got to high school, it was gone, but I still didn't want to communicate with people. And then when I got into the corporate world, I still didn't want to communicate with people until I found out I had to. And then I tried to help myself. I read books. I listened to cassettes, dating myself again. And it helped a lot, but not as much as I wanted it to. And Dale Carnegie had just come to the Boston area. So I went for Dale Carnegie group training. And then after that, I went for one-on-one -on -one training with a public speaking coach in New York, New York City. And that's when it truly made a difference. And what I found was when I left the corporate world and went out on my own, every time I spoke in public, and it was about the industry I was in, we had a bump in revenue. Hmm. And my wife, who was my business partner, who's also an, an accountant by education, it didn't take her long to say, you need to get out that. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quit coming home. Just yeah. keep going out and speaking. And uh, and it's been 36 years since. That's great. 
So how did you make the transition from that into coaching? About halfway through, about 18 years ago, uh, I noticed more and more people, especially younger speakers, would say, how did you do that? I love the audience reaction when you did that. Why did you do it? You know, how did, uh, tell me the behind the scenes part of it. And I would explain that. And I realized I really enjoyed helping them. That was so cool. So uh, I thought, well, maybe I can help some more people. And then some, and it's been going on as well for the last 18 years or so. That's great. I love one of the things you talked about in your book was that that nervous energy type thing that everyone experiences when they get up there and that you don't want that to go away because that's the that's the rush you get from it. And it, it's an interesting perspective on it. Well, it's what we fear, what we feel when we say we fear public speaking, whether it's truly public speaking or being embarrassed when we're attempting to go up there and speak, whatever it might be. What that feeling is, is a it's an adrenaline rush. No different if you're going to do something extremely exciting. And when I say you don't want that feeling to go away, you want to address it differently. You want to turn that into positive energy. But think of if you took someone like Michael Jordan, who was famous for give me the ball with 1.3 seconds left and we're down by one. I want to take that last shot. Would you want him taking that last shot if that feeling of excitement, of adrenaline, of I can do this went away? No, neither, and he wouldn't want it, and he'd hang up his uh, sneakers. And when that time came, probably there was a little less of that feeling in him. And any great athlete, Tom Brady, the same way. That feeling goes away, it's time to hang him up. You want that feeling. Hmm. That's fantastic. Um, so. The, the question I have around those people that have just that massive anxiety, um, my wife is actually one of them. Um, those people that would rather do anything than get in front of somebody and, and, and talk, what kind of advice do you have for them? And is this something they should pursue at all or, or just continue to actively avoid? Well, when it comes to should you pursue it, Warren Buffett says if you want to increase your value to yourself, your career, and your company, by about 50%, become a better communicator. Warren, he also says that of all the investments he's ever made, now, this is a guy that every time he makes an investment, billions of dollars might be on the line, hundreds of millions of dollars might be on the line. People scrutinize it, analyze it. Yet he says his greatest investment was his public speaking course. Hmm. Because he couldn't lead, he couldn't communicate, he wouldn't be able to get people to follow, do what he needed to do unless he could communicate well. And he, he understood that at a very young age. And it's the same thing. Now, if you're clinically afraid, that's different. That's a psychologist helping you. But other than that, we're really afraid of more messing up or I don't know what I'm doing. And no different than most things, if you're in the spotlight and you don't know what you're doing, well, there's a lot of pressure there. And you feel that. You know unconsciously that there's a problem here. So get help. And I'm, whether it's even Toastmasters, which is a great organization, go to Toastmasters and get help. Ask someone who presents well for help. But become a better communicator, and you'll be amazed what it does for your self-confidence and for your career. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm one of those individuals that's uh, that's kind of embraced the suck, right? I if if there's something that I don't like doing, I like to get into it and figure out how to get around it. And when I started my uh, journey in management, similar to yours, they wanted me to get up and talk, and they weren't even very big groups of people. I think it was like maybe ten people or something. And I had to talk about the previous day's numbers and the results and stuff like that. And I was like scared to death of it. I said, this is a weird thing, you know, to be like just talking to a group of people and I'm like getting all nervous and stuff. And so I did ex exactly what you described. I signed myself up for Toastmasters and I yeah. every public speaking venue I could get a hold of, I did it. And it was terrible in the beginning, but over time got a little easier, right? It does. It's like most things. And confidence comes from competence. So the more you learn about it and can help yourself improve or have others help you improve, then the more confidence you have. And the more confidence you have, it just keeps rolling and becomes a great snowball as opposed to a, a small snowball getting away from you. Yeah. And I like how you talk about the, the preparation that goes into it. Um, being somebody who often just wings it when I when I go out there. Um, the same thing would be say when you're going to take a test and you haven't you obviously haven't prepared for it, you haven't done the studying and you're really nervous to take that test. Whereas when you've done the the studying, you know, beforehand, um, you go out there with with much more confidence in it. But there's another side to it <clears throat> that I've also experienced where I overthink my preparation beforehand. Right. Where I'm doing it too many times and switching it and changing. It, and then I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to remember this entire thing before I get on onto that? You know, how, how does someone like me deal with that? Like we're just an overthinker, overanalyzing, over um, complicating your speech before you go out there. Well, I'm very much like you. I'm a perfectionist. But I had a mentor tell me once, you got to think of Mary Poppins. And for those who have seen the Mary 1960 whatever Mary Poppins movie at one point she tells the two little kids you have to be practically perfect ah can't be perfect but you got to be practical about it so if you're practical about it there's probably not over rehearsing it there's overthinking it once you've done your research on who you're speaking to why you're speaking to them the outcome you want from it their takeaways and the like then as long as you stick to that not memorize it but just become so familiar with it that you could do it with noise blasting and sirens going on and everything else around you, much like the way uh, uh, firefighters, police, military practice under live fire. Then mm. if you could do that, that's what you want it to be. As actors say, you don't want to rehearse till you get it right. You want to rehearse till you can't get it wrong. Wow. And again, that's not memorizing because memorizing will screw you up. But it is becoming so familiar with that content that you can deliver it under just about any circumstance. Yeah. And if you haven't rehearsed that much, then you haven't rehearsed enough. Enough. That makes sense. And winging it. Let me ask you this, Phil. If you were writing an article for the local newspaper or the New York Times, would you hand in your first draft? Definitely not. If you were in college and you're, you've got your exam, your final exam in your major coming up and you had to write a, a, a an essay, if you will, would you hand in the first draft of the essay? Definitely not. Then why do we disrespect people when we're speaking and hand in the first draft? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, one thing I found when I write out my speech, I, I may do it a little bit differently than you do, but what I do is I write it out. I do actually read it and then see how it sounds. I shift things around and then I try to distill everything out of it. So it's just a few key notes. And then I Perfect. say it the way that, that I, that I would. So it uh, should be done. The, uh, that's exactly it. You distill stuff down. You got to write it out to get your thoughts down on paper, rearrange them. Like you said, till they sound right, read it out loud so you can hear it and say, well, that's not the way I speak. We normally write more formally than we actually speak. I write with full words. I use contractions when I speak. I don't yeah. know if I've ever said I cannot. It's always I can't. Yeah. So I'll probably write I cannot, but it'll come out I can't. Make those adjustments and then distill it down like you said. It's the perfect way to do it. And when you rehearse, don't read. Read it out loud a couple of times, but when you're actually rehearsing, don't read because your brain will say, why do I have to get to know this material? He's reading it. Hmm. Do you have any advice for people that need to speak on the fly occasionally? So, you know, be it employees or sometimes I'm in an interview um, and it, it's not something I can prepare at all, but somebody will ask me, hey, Phil, thanks for being with us today. You've got this podcast successes, you know, can you give us just a, a, your thoughts on a few keys to success? for our audience here, you know, and, and, and that's occasion. I'm, I'm sure as a public speaker, you've asked, you've been asked questions similar to your, from your audience. Um, how do you prepare for that type of thing? You have prepared for it all the time. You've been speaking about success, right? You've been answering that question time and time and time again, what you have to do on the fly off the cuff or however you want to put it is say, what's the point here? Who's asking? It's it's like the research you would do before a presentation, but done instantaneously. Instantaneously, who's asking? Why are they asking? What's my takeaway for this question? So then you would say what you might normally say about success is, but pertinent to why they're asking. Hmm. So you, you've been rehearsing for that a long, long time. So you brought up a key point there that I think. A, a, a lot of people, unless they're professionals, don't do a great job of, and that's understanding their audience and researching the audience. And you talk about that a lot in your book. Um, can you explain to our audience why, what I mean by that from your book and then uh, why that's so important? Sure. As you said, it, and, and the book is The Captivating Public Speaker, and it's throughout. That is the the through line throughout the book is it's all about the audience. And Phil, have you ever been, and listeners, same question, have you ever been to a meeting, let's say 60 minutes long, and you left that meeting thinking to yourself, I will never, ever, ever get that hour back in my life? Absolutely. We've all been there, which is unfortunate, but we've all been there and we'll be there again. The reason that happens is the person speaking hasn't given thought to the takeaway or the transformation of the audience. They're there to vomit information on them. And the people leaving are leaving no differently than they walked in other than they have information. But unless you transform people, then why speak? Why speak on stage? Why speak in a meeting? If I'm just gonna give people information, I can put that in a PDF and email it to them and save us all a boatload of time. 
So don't speak for information, speak for transformation. And when you do that, you have to know your audience. You have to know why they're there. You have to know what they want to get out of it, what they need to get out of it, how they're going to feel when they're done. We often forget about the emotion of the people sitting there, but we're emotional animals. So how do you want to make them feel confident? If it's a sales meeting, do you want a little fire under their butt? What do you, how do you want to make them feel? And then what are they going to take away and what are they going to do with it? And if we can't answer those questions, we, I was going to say we have no right speaking. I'm not sure to go that far, but it's probably not going to go as well as we'd hope and definitely not going to go as well as they had hoped. So yeah. where do you get those answers? Whoever asked you to speak or and or the people you're going to speak to. Mm. Then you get their answers and you base it on them, not on you and your information, which is what most of us do. And that's right back to, I'll never get this time back in my life. Yeah, no, I've, I've certainly been to my share where they're just reading line after line off a PowerPoint. Oh. And it's like, why in God's name are we here right now? Just send that out to us in an email. So Yeah, it, it it's as simple as that. It, I don't believe in calling meetings unless someone's walking away transformed. Hmm. If they're not, that's a great reason to send an email. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And a lot of the, the big tech CEOs talk about that. Uh, Elon Musk has talked about that, um, you know, avoiding the meetings, cutting them down um, because you're going over the same content that, uh, that someone could easily pull in a report. Um, yeah, I've, I've also, uh, I can't remember who said it, but they said the meaning of my communication is the response I get. And uh, that's a big takeaway for me because you're right. If the, audience isn't transformed in what you're saying and and uh and going wow i really took something out of that then then what's the point why, why are you up there right no one in this world including my wife who's my best friend including my two adult children there's no one left on this planet that wants to hear me speak just to hear me speak no reason for that no one comes to hear me speak because it's peter george they come to hear me speak of what they're getting away from, getting out of it. No one goes to a movie because uh, Warner Brothers produced the movie or Universal produced the movie. They go to the movie for what they're going to get out of it. It's the same thing. We're nothing but a vehicle. We're a tool standing in front of the room or up on stage to help these people be transformed. So uh, I used to say the only person who would ever come to a, a talk because it was me speaking was my mom. And she died in 2003. So after that point, I had no one left, not even my best friend, my wife. She's heard it way, way too many times. So I want to shift gears a little bit here now. Uh, Peter George, the entrepreneur, the, the personal life side of things, as well as the business side. Can you walk us through how you manage everything you have going on, including being an author, a public speaking coach, you've kind of done a little bit of everything. And uh, for audience listening, I'd, I'd like to hear your your thoughts on how, you, how you've been able to manage all the things you have going on. Um, your book, one of the most well-researched, very well done book, I, I, I got to imagine that took a decent amount of time to write that thing. Um, and I, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you're able to manage so many things you have going on in your life. Yeah, we'll walk that backwards. Uh, my book took two years. 
to write and get out. And I used to own a publishing company. When I left the corporate world, I started a publishing company. So the world, the publishing world has changed since I sold that company in 2005. However, the basics are the same. And the book that you read was actually the third version of that book. I wrote it twice. And each time I tore it back apart and started all over again. From scratch or you built on From scratch. It? Wow. From scratch. Because I just didn't like the way they came out. So I would start all over again. So that's why it took two years. But uh, one, I have a very loving wife who owns her own company, although she's just retiring, which is kind of cool. But when I said I have to write this book, she laughed and said, I'll see you in a, in uh, 18 months. Yeah. And when 18 months went by, uh, she said, how long still? I said, probably another <laughs> four or five months. And it turned out to be just about two years. And uh, and I think she got used to that because after the book went out, she was like, don't you have something you got to do? But <laughs> the... Uh, I, I try and I do all this myself. I don't have a team. You hear people say, well, me and my team, I don't have a team. Uh, I'm at an age where I get to do what I want. I'm at a point in life where I get to do what I want. And this is what I love to do and have loved to do for decades. And I just find the time to do it. And it's not as difficult when you are focused. And every day I get up and I look at what I want to accomplish, not my to-do list, but what I want to accomplish that day. And every night before I shut it down, whether that's at five o'clock or if I'm working late to like nine o'clock or whatever, the last thing I write is what I want to accomplish the next day. Hmm. Does that always work out? No, but it keeps me pretty focused. And my wife is my accountability partner as far as what our companies are doing. We meet twice a week. I belong to another goals getting uh, mastermind that we meet once a month. So I have constant people and then i have a mentor who i've been sitting with for more than 12 years once a month so i have a, numerous people keeping me on track and me doing the same for some of them but yeah numerous people keeping me on track without well, that i'd be lost yeah you i mean you have obviously daily habits and things like that that you're doing to attribute to this as, as well right um even two years in writing a book you need to be working on it just about every day is that correct yeah yeah you know, and I gave myself some leeway in writing the book. There were times when I would say, here's my time to go sit in my office and write the book. And I would have nothing. Or I, or, or truthfully, I just didn't feel like doing it that day. And I would say, well, that's okay. Yeah, I'm not going to force myself to do something that's not going to be good. Uh, and then I'd usually just screw around with something during that time. I would never get up from my desk and go, well, I'll go mow the lawn. I would always sit at my desk and I do other things. And almost inevitably, Phil, probably after 15 minutes, something came to mind for the book. And then I'd stop working. So it was, I'd always be at the desk when I needed to be. If it came, it came. If it didn't, it didn't. It's no different than you can't force someone to write a song. If it's there, it's there. If it's not there that day, they put the guitar down on the piano, they walk away from the piano, whatever, and they go back to it. Maybe later that day, maybe the next day. Yeah, no, that's great advice. I, I find when I force myself to sit down, that's the stuff that I'm going to tear up later and and uh, and not use versus getting in almost this flow state where I got all these ideas and I can't wait to get them down on paper. Um, that's when the best writing seems to come out, at least for me. Yeah, yeah, and everybody has their own way. As long as you're not using not working as an excuse. But 
and I had no deadline. The only deadline I had was, man, I hope hope I don't die before I finish this. Yeah. That was the only <laughs> deadline I had. Yeah, two years, though, is not a bad amount of time for a book, which is, I mean, that's 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 pretty standard, I I think, for the 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 uh, depth of the book that you wrote to write it in two years is quite an accomplishment, um, and that comes from somebody who's working on on my own book. So uh, I'm just telling you, I think that's a that's a pretty decent, uh, pretty quick amount of time. So uh, yeah, the the book's won numerous awards, and it's actually up for the International Book of the Year. And on May 16th, I'll be in London at a gala event, Black Tie Affair, to see if. I won. I'm one of 11 finalists. Congratulations. That's outstanding. Yeah. Uh, funniest thing about that is I'm from Rhode Island and one of the other 11 finalists is from Rhode Island. No way. Wow. Yeah. They're so, trying and we the know each other. there, huh? Of course, everybody in Rhode Island knows each other. We're the size of a postage stamp. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of cool. So with all that said, you know, people say, wow, that's great that you did that. That's uh, the person who did that. It's my editor. Yeah. She's amazing. She's yeah. absolutely amazing. So every time I win another award, I contact Kathy and say, you won another award. And sure. if I happen to win this in London in May, the first person I'll text or call is my wife. The next person I'll get in touch with is Kathy. She was amazing. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, Peter, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, the captivating public speaker, great book. Uh, anybody who wants to get it, where do they find it? And where do they find out what you have going on? They can find the book directly on Amazon, but if they want to go to one place, they can go to PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. They can find out about my services, my podcast, the book. Hit a link there, it'll take them right to Amazon. Anything about me, they'll find there. Great. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Successes podcast. We'll see you next time.